Losing himself in the raw energy, the wall of noise, the soul-shattering screams, Doug went out to the post-punk fringe and beyond, back and forth through time and subgenre, absorbing the volume and energy of Scratch Acid, The X, Unsane, Sonic Youth, Blood Brothers, The Locust. At first, he cursed his own age, the time and place and circumstances of his birth, too late to see Black Flag live, too late to lose his teeth in the pit, at a Dillinger escape plan show. Gradually, that sentiment gave way to the surprise at what sounds people with little knowledge of music could wring from their instruments, how their playing could evolve over time. Then he felt brightened, inspired. He lived now, with access to all of this at the touch of his fingertip. How would a kid, decades back, growing up far from any major city, learn about any of this without knowing someone or accidentally stumbling into it? He clenched his jaw as he listened to Henry Rollins scream about depression. He almost cried as the dead milkman wailed two feet off the ground. For the first time in hours, he glanced toward the others on the bus. Laughter between the band members and the crew, audible between songs. He imagined approaching the band and his manager with his new revelation. How they needed to change their sound and his whole image. The manager laughing, explaining how you just can't switch like that how he'd alienate his entire fan base, how the internet would skewer him, how he'd never come back from that. Doug would make two arguments. One, the fans love me and they'll follow me wherever I go and give examples. How the Beatles went from I want to hold your hand to Helter Skelter. Two, who cares? They don't like it? Fuck them. Imagining all this only added to the energy he'd gotten from the music. He could see their faces responding to his argument. Watched as Ron's eyes lit up with pride at Doug's sudden and immediate transformation, the result of a fire Ron lit himself just that morning. Doug shot up out of his seat and began walking to the front of the bus, where Mindy squeezed herself into a conversation she couldn't possibly fit in, and they all went on, unaware of his appearance. His blood pounded through his arteries, his head caffeine clear, full of purpose, but when he went to open his mouth, he couldn't feel the words or hear them as they came out and someone asked, what? He looked at Ron said, this stuff's amazing. Thank you, man. I feel completely changed. All right, little man, Ron said, went back to yammering. Mindy looked at Doug with more than a dash of pity in her eyes as though she'd seen the new dream inside of him and watched it as it fell sick and died. Doug turned and went back to his seat without his earbuds in, looked out the window and saw a whole lot of nothing. Colorless flooring, tall chairs against the counter, stink of fried dough, sugar, cinnamon, artificial flavors. Night came in through the window no customers. The nameless one pulled himself off the tiles. The shape sat on one of the stools, leaning on the counter, muttering something, his voice a combination of wisdom and exhaustion. Eons spent coaxing and convincing, trying to control and continually failing. This project of humanity. The miracle worker opened his mouth to speak and found himself prone and paralyzed. Pain beyond the physical. A racking. A disintegration only made incomplete by the continued presence of skin holding everything pulverized in the bag of his body. Breath rushed in, followed by thought, then the ability to open his eyes. Dawn. The sky behind the buildings and the glass a red pink. 
Coffee? The Ukrainian spoke from behind the counter. I don't need anything. Bathroom for customers only. I don't need a bathroom. As soon as he spoke the words, an overwhelming sensation of nausea appeared. He rushed to the bathroom and vomited, then vomited again, looked at himself in the mirror in shock. Without rinsing, flushing, he walked back into the main shop. You must buy something. He reached into his pocket and pulled out a wad of cash. Staring into space, he barely heard the Ukrainian say, T, $1.50. The cup appeared on the counter, change in his hand. He looked for the words, found them. Bus ticket, he said. I wouldn't bother, but just up the street, go ahead. He walked out onto the sidewalk, ignoring the slow chorus of gasps of recognition, beggings for miracles and change, the blast beat of some hardcore song out a car window. The sound of the crosswalk signal. Walked into the bus station, bought a ticket to Hartford. An eternal moment later, he found himself seated amidst the poor who didn't know him. As soon as the bus reached the north end of Main Street, his head became pain and the racking returned. He yelled for the driver to stop. A series of complaints, moans, and shouts, and the squeal of stopping short, and he ran off. Back to the donut shop. He flew through the door to find the Ukrainian standing in his usual spot, arms folded, customer at the counter, the addict, clear-eyed with a cup of coffee and a book. Middletown, the nameless said. The addict looked at him, a slight brightening, the look a middle-aged man gives a six-year-old for using a big word correctly. The Ukrainian said nothing. Why Middletown? The addict took a sip of coffee. The Ukrainian answered, Because you failed in Odessa. Health officials reporting a 38% increase in urgent care and emergency room visits. Hospitals in particular seeing a rise in a variety of unusual symptoms, including amnesia, partial or total, difficulty breathing, low body temperature, in some cases accompanied by unusual speech. A number of reports coming in indicate brief and rapid cycling coma states, and at least one instance of brain death followed shortly thereafter by a complete and full recovery. Medical scientists at the Office of Epidemiology currently assembling teams to begin investigations. Here to comment on the current state of affairs, Dr. Kamal Hardman, professor of social medicine at Cornell University. Dr. Hardman? Thank you. We've known for some time now that loneliness suppresses immune function. In our current times, despite outrageous population growth and the promise of technology, we see data indicating unprecedented levels of social isolation. With that comes more depression, more suicides, substance abuse, and binge eating, sitting in front of screens. Couple that with poor diet and toxic environment, and it's no surprise you start to see the return of old diseases we stopped worrying about half a century ago, like polio and measles. We can also expect a rise in rare and opportunistic infections presenting with unusual symptoms varying from person to person. Our biology cannot adjust to our ever-changing technology. Since the advent of artificial lighting, we've become so far removed from nature, and now we can't even escape it if we want to. You could put away your smartphone when you go to pump your gas, and there's a TV on the pump and speakers overhead. The excess of constant, confusing, and conflicting information coming at us creates a state of what I call ontological decohesion, we don't all live in the same world. So a virus expressing itself differently from person to person, essentially, 
from island to island, or even planet to planet for that matter, shouldn't surprise us. Occasionally, in dreams, Coulson would understand a deep bodily knowledge far beyond the reach of words. The need that drove the behavior, actions that ultimately kept him single and dangerously lonely. His desire for an acceptance complete, an inhumanly impossible kind of love transformed itself into the shape of a female body. That shape became a phantom that attached itself to unwitting, unavailable women. An impossible thing required planning, perseverance, and so he obsessed, stalked, creating more problems in the process, missing important details and making mistakes on cases that could get a child killed frustrating the potential for more down-to-earth possibilities for himself. He would wake from these dreams. The inexplicable feeling would try to hang on long enough for him to find the right words. Then he'd yawn, cough, take a piss, and it would all disappear. Everyone left the office before Coulson. Eric reminded him that any overtime now came with so much red tape he shouldn't bother and Tiffany gave him a pitying look as she glanced at him with his tower of files. After an hour of cleaning up cases, he got up and left the office, got into his car and drove to Lake Worth to open the new investigation, the case the manager gave him earlier that day. A school social worker reported that a single mother beat her 14-year-old with, quote, anything she could get her hands on just for talking to boys on the phone. He drove into a small neighborhood, the faded dream of someone long dead and forgotten, found the house without a single light on, no sound, no evidence of anyone home. He went around the block and parked, made a note in the file, then imagined the family at church, the daughter seething as her mother fingered rosary beads and her four-year-old brother staring up at the wounded god. He drove out of the neighborhood and headed home. Noticing the gas light on his dashboard, he pulled into a mobile. As he parked next to the pump, a young woman drove up in a white sports car. Parked at the island across from his. Blonde and tan, a fit body. She ran into the convenience store as Coulson began filling his tank. He locked the handle so he could leave it and ran in after her without a thought. When he got inside, she stood at the cooler, deciding, and he felt his face flush. She grabbed a 12-pack and walked to the cashier, ignoring Coulson as she passed, and placed the purchase on the counter. He went and stood behind her, staring at the skin on the back of her neck. Her hair pulled up in a bun, then down at the rest of her body, taking it all in, and then the clerk spoke, shocking him. Sir, please don't leave pump unattended. The woman didn't turn around, but he felt her eyes on him anyway. That called out feeling, a spotlight the size of the sun on his face with the rest of the world in darkness. I came in to get something. Sir, please. Colson ran out, his tank filled. He replaced the nozzle back in the pump, put the cap back on the tank just as the woman brought her purchase and put it in her car, ignoring him completely. She started pumping gas and he ran back inside where he thought he could still smell her. The body lotion. As he stood at the counter, scanning the shelves behind the clerk. Cigarettes, e-cigs, liquor and lotto, 
Growing up in foster homes, he'd heard horror stories about alcoholics from the mouths of an abusive guardian who sweat whiskey. He'd avoided drink most of his life, yet now his eyes settled on a bottle that mentioned smoked barrels. He knew that even intoxicated, he wouldn't get his mouth to say the right things to that woman, young enough to call a girl. He felt older than his 38 years and didn't recognize the sound of his own voice as he said the words. Bottle of Buffalo Trace. In a trance, he paid and walked out, the bottle wrapped in a brown paper bag, the feel of it in his hand, the crinkle as he gripped it. Saw his lonely car and got in. The car drove him home and he didn't notice stoplights or other cars or his own hand on the wheel as his other hand held the alien object. Back when he trained for this job, they told him this would happen. You either drink or go insane. They said it like a promise, inevitable. Now the work bit into him, chewing away at what remained of his reason for entering it in the first place. Changing the way he spoke and looked at people. Awkward to begin with, he never learned to look at women as human. To him, they either shone with a promise he couldn't touch, a warmth he'd never attain, or they simply looked like bored librarians and bus drivers. When opening an investigation, he saw them as work. He learned all the scripts to follow the procedure, taking him further and further away from regular human interactions. Occasionally, around the office, he'd slip, appearing human by accident, and briefly, so he never raised too much suspicion among his co-workers. He pulled into his apartment complex, walked up three flights of stairs, then entered. One of the ceiling lights still needed replacing. The refrigerator made a buzzing sound, and he sat down on his thrift store love seat, saw himself reflected in the blank TV screen, and took a drink. Liquid smoke rolled on his tongue, burned his throat, sending fumes to his brain. A slightly caffeinated feeling came, then he took another swig, and that sensation changed. He kept drinking until he passed out. He came to with his pants around his ankles, empty bottle on the floor beside his phone. Ten missed calls and the sun burning through the window.